Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, and to kick things off, we're going to highlight our Shields Outdoors customer of the week. This week's winner is Steve K. of Western Montana. He sent in one of the coolest shed hunting photos I have ever personally seen, which is a beautiful shot from his deck with the mountains and a sunrise, along with a pile of really nice elk and mule deer sheds. That photo can be found on our Facebook or Instagram stories if you're listening to this podcast right as it goes live on Friday the 5th of February, or you can scroll back through our page posts of the main feed and find it there. Congratulations to Steve K for being chosen as our Shields Outdoors Customer of the Week. Now that big game hunting seasons are pretty much wrapped up across the country, we've really entered that preparation and research stage of hunting. One of the biggest questions to answer is developing an inventory of what animals you have to potentially chase in the upcoming hunting season. Shed hunting is an excellent way to do that. And today we're joined by four different guests in four different areas of the country to discuss how they shed hunt in their areas, tips and tricks to help improve your odds of success, and a few good stories along the way. Our first guest is Ben Morgan, who works in optics and muzzle loaders in our Johnstown, Colorado store. The next guest is Casey Davies, the assistant store leader in our Sandy, Utah Shields. Casey and Ben will be providing a lot of insight into our Western shed hunting and how that differs from the Midwest and Southern areas. Our last two guests are Kyle Halseth and Kyle Clifforth, who both work in the hunting departments at our Eden Prairie, Minnesota and Eau Claire, Wisconsin stores. Those two guys and also myself will be covering a lot of your whitetail shed hunting concepts. Let's start things off with you, Ben. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and why you enjoy shed hunting so much. Yeah, my name is Ben Morgan. Uh, I'll be coming up on my 12th year here with Shields. Started back in 2009. Um, really learned a lot just from working at Shields and being around all the people that we're surrounded by every day at work. Um, I think I started with shed hunting just at a young age. It was a good way to get an ADD kid out running around enjoying wildlife with uh, my brother. Just trying to find sheds in North Dakota whitetail primarily and muleys um and now that i moved out here into colorado is a big learning curve um not only just because of the terrain because there's actually mountains out here but there's actually different laws um which was kind of a wake-up call for me the day i got out here (laughs) because we actually do have a law set that you can't shed hunt from january 1st through april 30th and the big reason for that is just to not put stress on all the big game animals and other wintering animals during that season. Um, trying to protect the wildlife is main purpose of it. So um, that was kind of a wake-up call for me. It stinks when you got April turkey season out here and you're hiking crazy. You're almost elk hunting birds. And you, mm. if you see a shed, you can't pick it up until oh, May 1st. Man, so. That's got to be a huge bummer. Just going to mark that one on the GPS. Yeah. Like, yeah. hopefully it's still there later. Yeah. Right. So just do a quick little mark on the Hunt Onyx map. Just try to come back for it when the season opens up. But 
There you yeah, go. Yeah, it's definitely different from that flat terrain that I'm used to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that one for sure. So, all right, KC, how about you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Casey Davies. Uh, <clears throat> been with Shields now for seven years, working on my eighth year. Um, got really big into shed hunting probably my sophomore year of high school. I had a buddy that, that lived a few hours south of me that I would go down and he would show off his sheds that he had. And I was like, well, what are those? You know, I've always hunted and stuff like that. But uh, he started taking me out and I, you know how it is. It's, it's really rough the first couple of years until you start getting it figured out. And it just grew into a passion. I started, you know, being able to explore a little bit further in like Nevada, Idaho, Wyoming, and uh, just grew that passion, especially working here. There's a couple guys that shed hunted and you know how it gets. You start talking about it, you bring sheds into work and everybody gets excited. So uh, it's just one of those things that I enjoy doing in the springtime. It's a nice way to stretch the legs and, and get moving. So, Oh yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's a great activity to go out. You've been cooped up all winter, you know, trying wondering what deer made it or what elk made it or whatever. So it's, yeah. it's a ton of fun. Okay. Uh, now we have Kyle Halseth of, uh, Eden Prairie. Can you please give us an introduction how you developed a passion for shed hunting? Yeah, so I started at Shields about five years ago down at the Rochester store. And, uh, you know, I started shed hunting at a really young age, and it just kind of branched out, especially when I started working for Shields, just like you guys were talking about. I mean, bringing sheds into work, showing them to people, um, running into customers on a daily basis, and uh, just talking about shed hunting. They're showing you pictures while you're selling them a pair of boots or whatever it is, and um, it's just developed a passion for it so i pretty much just stay in minnesota with it um but i uh cover it top to bottom all over the place public land private land and uh it's a lot of fun mm-hmm. absolutely all right last but not least we have kyle clifford of uh eau claire you know the drill kyle let's hear it absolutely so hey guys i'm uh, kyle clifford i'm from the eau claire shield store i've been with uh, shields for just about five years now and my story is pretty close to Ben's and the fact that I was always one of those kids that really just couldn't sit still. So uh, my dad was in the outdoors his whole life and was big on shed hunting. And it really was about the second time I ever went with him. I was just kind of strolling out in the wide open, happened to stumble across a really big five point side. And once you find something like that, that kind of sticks with your whole life, cool shed like that, it kind of was instilled in my blood from then on. It's been a awesome sport and it's something to do in the downtime of the year so and like other guys have said you know you work at shields everybody around you kind of does it so it's something you can do and find them and show them off with your buddies and it's something i look forward to every year almost i would say just about as much as the actual hunting itself it's quite a fun sport for me Mm -hmm. yeah it's a total blast and honestly i i kind of got started just the same way that you did we were uh you know, I was out for my fam- with my family just walking around a little bit, and uh, my mom actually tripped on this shed. It was just we were going through some CRP, and she stumbled a little bit like, oh, what did I, what did I walk over? And we, we pull it out of the CRP grass, and it was a 14-point side, just like pop can mass, you know, one of those ones you just kind of dream about. And, you know, ever since we found that one, I just thought, okay, this is awesome. I need to, I need to start doing some serious shed hunting now. And it's just, it's a great way to get out, develop a, you know, develop inventory for deer, see, and just learn about, you know, where they are, how they're interacting and, 
you know, how you can potentially hunt them, you know, especially in the late season, because, you know, they're going to be in different areas at different times. But if you know where a deer is wintering, you have a pretty good idea where they're going to be in the late part of the season. So, um, Ben, when you, uh, when you were giving your introduction, you talked a little bit about like the legalities and the timing side of things and how that's, uh, you know, how that's different in, in other areas, especially where you were initially from. And when you, when you moved out to Colorado, can you, can you dive into about, uh, like the best timing and the legality portion of, uh, of shed hunting? Yeah. I mean, I would say, I mean, the main thing is just that you're following the rules. So, I mean, as long as you are going through May 1st through the end of the year, I mean, I would try to hit it early because out here in the West and JC, you might be able to touch on that too. It's probably a lot more competitive. Um, there's a lot of monetary gain now in sheds. So you got people that do it for the passion and the love of it and not saying that those guys that make money off it aren't super passionate and loving what they do but there's a lot of people that are pretty competitive to make a decent amount of coin picking up horns and sheds and you name it. So, um, that, that is kind of the big thing out here. I think you want to hit those pretty popular areas fast. I mean, everyone always talks about those South facing slopes, you know, that's typically you have a higher percentage of finding sheds on those because that's where you're going to have less snow. Um, you know, more food is going to be available to the animals. That's where they're going to be wintering at. Um, so those are kind of the, the areas that you're going to want to focus on. And I mean, you can, nowadays we have so much technology at our hands that, I mean, you can almost watch the wintering areas of elk, you know, and kind of watch their migration and try to figure out where they kind of end up and then really try to hit Google earth or, you know, your, whatever type of apps that you use, um, GPS apps, like Hononix or whatever, um, and really try to dive into those areas that you think they might be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You touched on a really important part of, uh, of why they're shed hunting dates and that's just the safety of the animals. And, you know, you don't want to put any, any extra stress on them during those difficult winter time periods. So when does, when does the season actually open in, in your area? And are you, are you still having to deal with a lot of snow or any other factors during that time? Yeah. I mean, it's fully, you know, depending on the, the year that we have, but I mean, May 1st is the opener, um, just after April 30th. So, um, once that hits and I guess I should say, and more specifically, that's just on the west side of I-25. So that's actually how they separate it. Um, so you can actually shed hunt year-round if you're east of I-25. Um, but they use that interstate line as, as long as you're west of that, it has to be May 1st till the end of the year. That's the season of shed hunting. Okay. So how about you, Casey? What's, uh, what are the similarities and differences versus what Ben's experiencing? Uh, I mean, Ben's, Ben's hitting it right on the nose, you know, with the south facing slopes, uh, especially in the mountainous areas. That's the only place those animals can actually get down to the feed. Um, I've noticed that like bigger bull elk or, you know, bigger deer, they, they'll kind of ride that ridge and they'll even go on the backside. I've seen elk up to, you know, their mm -hmm. chest snow running around. Um, so that's kind of the thing, you know, you can find a lot more of the raghorns and stuff like that in the lower, lower conditions. But some of those big bulls, I mean, they'll be pushing, pushing snow past their chest just to get away from people or, you know, the pressure alone. But they're smarter than you think. That's for dang sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
And I, like he was saying in Colorado, you know, you have that May 1st start. Uh, it's like a national holiday for me and my buddies. We, we run out to Nevada every year on May 1st. Uh, that's when their shed season opens as well. And, you know, we'll take four or five days off and, and go out there and put 15, 16 miles in a day in and, and just kind of make a big kind of deal out of it and make a big camping trip out of it, which is a ton of fun. So yeah, that would be super fun. So are you, are you doing mostly shed hunting for elk or are you doing mule deer? Just whatever you find. Yeah. I mean like here in Utah, my kind of rule of thumb is, you know, about Valentine's day till about mid March, I'll be focused on mule deer sheds. Uh, that's when they start to really start to drop. Uh, and then after that, that's when I start kicking it over to elk sheds. Once the snow starts to get to more manageable level up in those higher elevations. Okay. Perfect. How about you, Kyle? What, uh, when's the start date generally for you on shed hunting? Start date, you know, it's kind of dependent on the snow for me. Um, you know, late January, uh, you know, February, it, it's kind of depends on the season and when they're dropping. Of course you see all those people online on Facebook, things like that, talking about deer that are dropping early and it, it just gives you the itch to get out there, but waiting a little bit, letting some of the snow melt, um, it's tough when there's high pressure areas if you are on public land um, because you know other people are out there and then you'll be chasing boot tracks from there but uh if you've got private land for sure letting that sit um my parents have some land up in northern minnesota you know i don't need to go hit that right away that can definitely sit there let the snow melt hit some public land before i head up there mm-hmm. okay kyle number two well, he kind of hit it on the head. I mean, it's all dependent on whether you're on private or, or public, because when I'm on private land, you know, I'm going to let that snow melt down. I don't want to let the snow completely melt away. But being in Wisconsin, we don't have a start or end date when you can or can't. So I'm going to completely leave it up to snowfall and, and weather. You know, if you're on public land, there's, I mean, we don't, you know, have what Ben's got out in, in Colorado with guys that are looking to find sheds for profit typically, but you do have a lot of shed hunting traffic so in those public areas i'm gonna i'm gonna wait until you know whether i've got cameras out or, or don't have cameras out i'm gonna you know watch those religiously and if they're starting to drop you know i'll look for them at any time but ultimately i'm gonna let that snow get down to where i don't want the snow to be completely gone because you still want to see their travel routes but you'd also you know i'm not going to go trudging around out there when there's a foot and a half of snow because it's just it's kind of a donation to your time and on private land, I run cameras year round. So I'm watching, waiting for those bucks to drop. And I'm going to wait until there's, you know, some bare ground, but just a little bit of snow yet to, to be able to follow those, those runways and, and bedding areas. Cause you can walk around when the snow is gone on runways, but that's probably fall and, and rut activity, not necessarily where they were in the winter with the food sources and, and bedding areas, uh, how those change in the winter due to weather. So. <clears throat> Yeah, I'd say I'm I'm basically in the same boat as as both of you, Kyle. You know, I I spend a decent amount of time shed hunting in North Dakota and in Minnesota, some private, some public. Uh, a lot of times, I'll let I'll let a camera determine if it's dropping, and and you know, if I see a buck that that dropped, then you know, I'll probably check. I'll check feeding sites you, you know like my, my parents have land and they have a they have a food plot right in their backyard so I mean I'll, I'll spend some time looking at all the tracks around there but generally I won't venture too far into the transitions or the bedding areas until until the snow was gone so and and a little bit different on public stuff you know I'll 
I'll try and be one of the first ones out there, but, um, you know, you just got to keep in mind that you really don't want to put any added stress on those animals. So there's a, there's kind of that fine line between being the first one to find the shed and putting pressure on that animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's nothing that makes you regret your decision faster than seeing a buck get kicked up and it's still got its antlers on. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> it's like, Oh, well I found the perfect spot for it, but you know, he's yeah. still, he hasn't dropped his head gear yet. So. And it's it's hard with with Facebook and social media nowadays. You know, you see these guys in the beginning, the middle of January, that are picking up sheds, and you're like, oh man, it's time to get out there. But yeah, the bottom line is, you get out there and start looking a little early and start pushing those animals around. You know, in Wisconsin, I can't speak for other states, but just about everybody's got a food plot planted now, and it seems like more and more people are leaving crops all winter. So if you're going to push that deer out of there two, three, four times, he can go up and over the bluff and find another food source. So you kind of got to be patient and and just be happy for those people that are finding them early because it's not the case everywhere for sure mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. you, you mentioned that and it, i noticed that when nevada actually started their shed season because i i shed hunted nevada before they actually had a season you could go out there you know middle of february and guys be pushing animals all around and i noticed after the season started it started to become where they weren't pressured they were start to drop in a more concentrated area which was really nice instead of being walking a mile and a half, two miles between sheds, you know, you're able to find four or five within a, a really small, like half mile area, which made it nice to shed hunt. That's for dang sure. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. It's always nice when they're concentrated, you can find a, you know, you can find a group of them instead of walking 10 miles and maybe yeah. finding one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so let's talk about the, uh, the weather conditions. What is the, what is the perfect day for you guys shed hunting in your area uh how about you start ben well i mean basically it's just gonna be a lot of walking out here um a lot of aggressive walking if you need to get to the right spot i mean hardly ever is it just a nice path from road to the spot that you want to get to and typically if it is nice it's already hit up so i mean i'm ideally looking for a pretty nice day but it's pretty common here in the the mountains to have a storm kind of roll in maybe midday or so um, where you might get into some conditions with some rain or just high winds, stuff like that. Um, But that's kind of the nice thing about shed hunting is you can kind of deal with whatever I guess you want to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, But ideally, I mean, you're just doing a lot of walking and just kind of trying to enjoy enjoy, enjoy nature and hopefully find some sheds um, and just get a good kind of workout. I mean, I kind of use that as a good training season. I mean, it's hard to get your, your legs ready for what you're going to be experiencing out in the field, in the mountains, in the gym alone. I mean, you kind of got to get up in there, get your boots broken. Um, that's just a good way to do that. So ideally I'm looking for that nice day, but you know, if I'm cooped up long enough, I'll, I'll go in about anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The perfect but, day is the day nice, where you have a free day on your calendar, right? Exactly. And I mean, it's, it's nice to have the sun work. Um, you know, I do, I like to do a lot of glassing with optics, you know, using binocular spotters. Um, so having that sun, um, where it can maybe get that antler to shine for you and really pick up that's ideal. So I, I'd, I'd prefer to not go on an overcast day, but more than willing to. Mm-hmm. Do any of you other guys have anything to add about uh, about weather conditions, perfect timing, stuff like that? I, interestingly enough, I would 
it, I think there's a difference between open ground glass with binos and walking thick areas um, in Wisconsin in the woods. But over the years, I've always kind of, I've always liked overcast days myself for looking for sheds here. But I can see how, like, if you're out in the open glass and wide open areas, those elk sheds and stuff would probably shine in the sunlight. But overcast has always been my favorite for looking around here. And I don't, I don't know. I couldn't really pinpoint exactly why that would be, but I just they've whitetail sheds have always popped for me on overcast days when they're close quarters and thicker areas. Yeah, Kyle, I couldn't agree more. Uh, out west, I can see how they like that that sun shining and stuff. But when we're in the woods and uh, some stuff like that, when that sun's shining, you're going to get shadows and you're going to get some stuff that it, antlers just don't pop out like they do when everything's just the same color. When it's kind of that muggy feel outside. Um, those antlers just stand out so much more and I would way rather have it overcast or even some rain uh, everything lays down a little bit more those antlers really pop out yeah I found some nice 90 inch oak stick sheds when it's sunny out it seems. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you walk up oh nope not a shed oh that's the worst especially when there's quite a bit of snow um, on the ground like you're walking around and then you you see a stick that you know, like you're convinced it's a shed. You're walking up to it all excited and then pull it out of the ground and it's just a nice little oak branch. It's like, God, you got me again. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's talk about areas to shed hunt. What what are you sort of keying on as potential areas to find sheds? Um, anyone feel free to start. Uh, I mean, I, I look for big ridge tops that are south facing. Uh, I've noticed out here too, east facing slopes that tend to, you know, hold a lot more animals just because that's where the, the sun's coming up and hitting it first thing in the morning. They're trying to get that warmth, uh, you know, that morning feed. Those are the areas I look for. And then also that transition from a thick bedding area to that, that south facing slope. So a lot of ridge tops and, and faces, big faces. Yeah, and I would agree with that completely. I mean, that's kind of the things you want to focus on out here. And, um, you know, even checking, like, those drainages because you just never know what might be down in there. Yeah, I mean, we, we've found some deer sheds in the bottom of, you know, 150-foot ravines. And you're like, how in the crap? Why was he down in there? But some of those yeah. get out of the weather, the wind, you know. It's bizarre where they'll go sometimes. Mm-hmm. So that's where with Minnesota, you're just, uh, most of Minnesota, you're not looking at the big hilly, cliffy region. I mean, yeah, you can get down near Rochester, the Whitewater area, and then you're looking at south-facing hillsides and some of that same stuff you guys are talking about. But when you're looking at the majority of Minnesota where it's flat farmland, um, you're basically just going off of food sources and bedding. And you find those two, you find where they're feeding and just zigzag it back and forth between the two. And uh, that's all they're worried about in the winter is getting a bite to eat and going to sleep. So, yeah, I mean, I would I would agree. I mean, in in Wisconsin and Minnesota, I mean, everybody keys on the food in the bedding area, but the transition in between seems to be where I find the majority of my of my sheds. I mean, a lot of guys will just focus just on the food sources, and it's actually pretty rare when I find. I mean, I got a lot of private land with good food sources that stand throughout the winter, but trying to find a whitetail shed in a cornfield is another example of not wanting a sunny day because everything looks like yeah. a shed out there. It's, but those transitions between the bedding, you know, and a lot of guys are like, well, they're spending the most, you know, part of the day bedded down, you know, and wherever they're spending the most of their day, that should be where the sheds are. But they're not doing a lot of moving around too when they're bedded down. I mean, it's occasional you'll find a shed in a bed, but 
when they're moving and moving their head and moving their body and jumping fences and maneuvering, you know, that's a lot of times when those sheds are going to kick off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you really hit the nail on the head there, Kyle, like where, where I'm shed hunting, it is, it is pretty much flat as a pancake. I mean, I, I live in Fargo, North Dakota, (laughs) just super, super flat. And then, um, you know, I hunt a lot in, in Minnesota, like maybe an hour or two to the, to the east of Fargo and all that stuff is like, it's super flat. You know, I, I almost wish that I had some elevation changes to kind of restrict them a little bit, but, um, yeah, what you were talking about as far as looking in a cornfield, that is, you know, if you want to challenge, go, go find a cornfield and try and, and try and find sheds in there. Cause like I'll, I'll actually have, you know, maybe one that I, that I picked up earlier. I'll like toss it in the corn and, and try and like look and see where it is. And a lot of times I'll have a hard time finding one that, that I just tossed out in that corn. Cause everything looks, you know, it looks so much like everything else with the colors and all that. Um, Fence rows. Fence rows are great. Uh, I've also had a good, lot of good luck um, if deer are crossing a creek or a river. You know, like when they're coming up the bank or they're going down the bank, it seems like they're, you know, like they're putting a lot of a lot of pressure on their on their front legs, and it seems like it'll they'll fall then. But yeah, just finding the food, finding the bedding, and getting there and in between is, is how I've found a lot of my success with that. Yeah. I think a lot of the farmers in the Midwest, uh, have better luck finding, uh, the sheds with their tires than you do walking those corn rows. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, how many farmers I've had complain to me that they got too many sheds out there and they're losing tires and losing money. <laughs> <laughs> I found the biggest set of sheds in my life last year, and I found the one side and just, I mean, I turned the, the woods blue on the tracker on Onyx Maps trying to find it, and the last place that was left was the cut cornfield, and that was the same way. I mean, by the time I got done, I think I had put like 13 miles on just in the cornfield, and it was solid blue, and finally <laughs> ended up finding it, but it was like, man, if <laughs> that was the last place I wanted to have to look for it, I can tell you that. Mm-hmm, for sure. So how, when you guys are out shed hunting, how, what is your pace? How fast are you going? I, I'm pretty slow and steady. Um, I mean, you're going to cover a lot of ground. I mean, you might as well enjoy it while you're doing it, but I'd like to do, I don't know. I might be a little different, but I actually like glassing a lot while I'm walking. Um, so if I see like a good area that I can actually kind of get a nice angle on that I can feel like I can glass a lot, I do try to do that. Um, but I mean, it just depends on what you're walking. I mean, sometimes you have a little faster pace cause you're just trying to zigzag and cover as much as possible and you can kind of see everything you need to see. But there are some of those areas that you come up on that you can glass a lot while you walk and you kind of almost have better luck spotting it that way. Mm-hmm. So how far are you traveling in between your, your glassing points usually? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, it just completely depends on the area. I mean, uh, if you can get on top of like those ridges and kind of glass the other ridges, um, that's probably the easiest way. Um, when you got like kind of those nice open tops, uh, where you don't have too much debris, I mean, you can really glass those, but, um, sometimes I'll be in the thicket and I feel like sometimes my binos can show the antler better than my eyes can. So I'll just kind of pitter patter between focus points and just kind of glass. I mean, I might go 
every 200 yards or so and kind of glass again just to see if he'll pick up better. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of that same way. Uh, For glassing for me, I mean, I notice a lot of people don't pull their binos out as they're walking around. You know, if I see something Mm -hmm. 50 yards away that might be questionable, you know, it might look like a tine sticking up above. I can't tell you how many times I've thrown it up and like, ah, oh, it's a stick and then put my binos on it. It's like, sure enough, that's a shed. And you're like, oh, would have walked right yeah. past that one. So when in doubt, glass it out is my rule. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a good saying. When in doubt, glass it out. Okay, how about uh, how about Wisconsin, Minnesota? What's, what's your pace? I think it really depends on the area. I mean, if you're in the timber and you're walking some thick stuff, I will be moving because if you're just, you're just on one trail – um, I'll go as fast pace as I can, just covering that one trail, cover some ground. But there's definitely some areas, if you're out on a CRP field or, um, you know, where you've got some area to look around, slow down, just keep looking. Don't get distracted, basically. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, just keep moving. But uh, don't be afraid to slow down. Take some time because you will walk right past them. Yeah, I mean, I think he hits on a good point. I mean, there's a there's a change in pace depending on, on where I am and what terrain I'm looking at. If I'm looking at thick stuff, I'm going to slow down a little bit. But also a lot of those areas, there could be, you know, 30 different runways going through the same path. So if you're going to cover them all, I mean, a snail's pace isn't going isn't gonna to cover them for sure. So I'll move at a pretty good clip. But if I'm in a thicker area where I'm, you know, trying to find uh, – a matching and that's another thing too if i found if i found one side and i feel like the other side could be close then i'll really slow my pace down but if i'm trying to cover some ground a lot of times i'll be moving at a pretty good pretty good clip mm-hmm. yeah i would Not say jogging but it's, you know <laughs> yeah. you gotta you gotta cover ground too but it's it's finding that happy medium some you know some guys eyes work different than other guys so i think the key thing there is actually like keeping your eyes up I mean, I think I see too many people that um, just walk with their head straight down. Um, and at that point, I mean, you might as well just step on it and you probably have a better chance finding it, in my personal opinion. Um, I mean, you got to keep your eyes kind of down to make sure you're not stepping into a cactus or, you know, something bad. But uh, at the same token, I think you always just got to keep your eyes looking forward and kind of glassing ahead of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For uh, for my pace personally, I just I go too fast. I get too excited. Like I'm finally out in the woods. You know, I've been cooped up all winter. It's like, man, I just want to cover some ground and look at some stuff. And I've found, a, a, you know, more than once that I'll be going through an area and it'll get thick and there's multiple trails and and then I just stop. I want to, you know, like text my buddy see where he's at and then all of a sudden i look up and there's a shed 15 feet away it's like well i'm glad i picked this completely random spot to stop because i'd have probably just walked right by that sucker (laughs) i think it's pretty rare that they're laying right on the runway that you're walking on so i think ben's ben's point is pretty important there is keeping your eyes up and looking off to the side because the idea that you're going to pick the right runway to find that shed on is pretty rare. So keeping your eyes peeled and, and scanning the area is pretty important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of times I'll let the sign determine how fast I want to go to. Like if I'm, if I'm just walking to an area, I don't see tracks all over the place. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to keep as keen of an eye then, but you know, if I, if I'm walking in between a food and a bedding area and I see 20, 30 different trails and all kinds of deer sign and droppings. And you just, you know that they've been there. 
recently and have been hanging out there for long periods of time, like, okay, here's a place where you really need to, you really need to slow down. You need to look, you need to get your binos out because there's, you know, probability of a shed being in that area that you can just look and see that it's high traffic. That's where you're going to want to spend some time. Yeah. I think the binoculars and, and, you know, spotting scopes and stuff like that are really forgot about around Minnesota and the Dakotas. I know they've been talking about it out in Colorado and Utah, stuff like that, but it is so beneficial here as well. You know, even if you come up to a split on the trail, you have to pick one of them to go on. So I always take my binoculars and I'll run that other trail as far as I can follow it with my binoculars and then go on that one that I chose because a lot of times you'll be following that even if it's through the woods and all of a sudden you'll see something sitting sitting along the trail if it's a heavy, heavily traveled trail. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. I agree with you. I mean, I remember my days back in the Midwest and I think you'd kind of pick like that, that late season, you know, like right kind of first drop. Um, and I just remember driving and if there wasn't any fresh snow, I mean, you'd just be looking at the top of the snow and seeing if there's any sheds laying on the top. I mean, you could cover a lot of terrain with just a spotter in a vehicle mm-hmm. looking for whitetail sheds. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's actually one thing that I, ha- that I haven't really used in, uh, in doing shed hunting as a spotting scope and, you know, thinking about it, that's, you know, that's a pretty beneficial tool to have, you know, e- you know, even if you can't see miles, you know, if you can see hundreds of yards, you know, that spotting scope is a, is a very valuable piece of equipment to have. And, uh, you know, that kind of brings, brings me to my next point. What is, uh, what's in your guys's pack for a, for a day shed hunting? Well, I mean, I can start, uh, essentially, I mean, probably the most important thing, cause you're just going to be walking until your heart's content. Uh, I mean, definitely bringing plenty of water, uh, snacks, uh, just some clothes for if the weather changes, stuff like that. Um, but I always try to make sure I have like zip ties or paracord, something to keep them together, keep them on my pack. So I'm not worried about dropping stuff that I just found. Um, in Colorado, I've yet to be, uh, that brave with the, with the public land, but I mean, having a trail camera, in my opinion, is a good idea. Cause if you're starting to find a lot of stuff in an area, I mean, you might as well watch the area too. Um, could be good during the hunting season. Um, but yeah, mainly, I mean, walking sticks are sometimes nice to have, but just having various types of ropes and if you got a friend, walkie talkie, stuff like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of the same way, you know, a lot of snacks, you, we go out, we're out for the day, you know, we'll be out from nine o'clock till sundown most of the time. And having plenty of water. I have a dog that I shed hunt with as well. So packing her water, um, big thing for me is also a GPS, uh, marking some spots and starting to find consistencies possibly with topographical, uh, features on the maps. Mm -hmm. So you can start to kind of study and be like, okay, well in this area, I found them in this elevation or in this kind of ravine. So if I go try a new area, you can kind of look at the same patterns. I like electrical tape for keeping the sheds together. You can get a little bit tighter bond. Uh, you don't get that bounce, yeah, uh, you know, paracord coming loose. I've tried paracord, but yeah, electrical tape works a lot better for me. Yeah. You guys touch on a lot of the good stuff. I mean, of course, snacks are the go-to <laughs> to have with. You're burning calories. You need to be replacing that water. Um, one of the main things that I make sure I have, I bring with if I'm doing a full day of shed hunting, even if it's not in my pack but in the truck or something, is an extra pair of socks, even an extra pair of boots. Because if you step in a, a ditch or a puddle and you're, you're getting wet, 
um, that can end your day of shed hunting pretty quick. So bring it with some extra gear like that uh, because if you're going to get hot, you, you might get sweaty. Um, having some extra clothes to throw on can definitely keep you going longer. I'm a little different in the food aspect. I'm more of a one ten thousand calorie one meal guy, so not a lot of snacks in my in my backpack. But uh, it's I'm more of a I got a bottle of water with me, probably an empty pack. Just trying to be optimistic. I do have a shed dog that I I uh, shed hunt with. She's obviously not in my pack, but probably my biggest tool is going to be Onyx maps that I take with me. I try and always tell customers this too. But yeah. You know, in the Midwest, a lot of a lot of these guys now have gotten into keeping the pressure down on your property. So it's pretty often, it's not very often that we're walking through our property and putting pressure on it. So if I'm going to go in there shed hunting, I'm going to have my Onyx maps with me and I'm going to have my tracker on because it's going to be the best time throughout the year to walk all these runways and be able to track myself so I know where these deer are moving throughout the property. So I'll actually track all the runways and then I know where a lot of the traveling routes are. So that's one of my favorite things to do is while I'm shed hunting is to track myself with my phone and Onyx makes that pretty easy nowadays. I know there's other apps out there too, but that's just the one that I, I've you know, chosen to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. There's so much valuable information to be learned when you're shed hunting. You know, you might, you know, might not be hunting, but, uh, but you're trying to gain as much information as possible on those animals to increase your, uh, your success the next season or seasons down the road. And it's great to see, you know, patterns that will develop too. Like, okay, I found a shed here last year. I found a shed 500 yards away the year before you can, you can really start increasing your success with the more, with the more information that you, that you gather being out there. And, you know, as far as the, what's in your pack, I'm, I'm pretty much in the same boat as all you guys. Um, but one thing I'd like to touch on is just layering you know, I do when I start out the day, I'm in, you know, pretty good layers and, you know, maybe start, start a field edge going really slow. And then once I start to heat up a little bit, I'm taking my jacket and, and dumping it in my pack, which is generally pretty empty besides, you know, some, like some trail mix, uh, definitely enough water and, uh, and something to keep those, keep those sheds too. But yeah, layering is, layering is super important here. I really like to use a, uh, I like to use a base layer and a vest because it'll keep my core warm, but then I still have good range of motion and uh, and can really enjoy my day out there. And a, a good pair of boots is is super essential. I guess that really depends on the, on the area you're going, like the, the boots out, you know, you'd use out in Colorado, Ben is going to be different than the boots that I'm going to be using in the flat as a pancake Fargo, North Dakota area. You know, it gets, it gets pretty (laughs) wet and all the snow is generally melting. So I really like to use a pair of, uh, you know, uninsulated rubber boots so I can stay pretty dry. And then I always have like a backup pair in my truck. Cause you know, if I end up stepping in a creek or breaking through a little slough or something and, and I'm wet up to my knees, you know, that's a, that's not a, that's not a good day when, when something like that's happening for you. Yeah. And I mean, I guess one little thing I did forget to touch on, I don't know if you guys added to your pack, but I mean, just like a lightweight bone saw, um, Casey come up on like a, pretty giant deadhead or something like that if you need to remove some of it just to lighten it up it's kind of nice to have mm-hmm. yeah. yeah talking about deadheads it's actually kind of funny in utah uh you can't legally pick them up without the dnr coming out and inspecting them so that's 
One oh, of those geez. We deal with, unfortunately. Yeah, but, that's the same way in North Dakota too. I found a couple of nice ones. Like I was, I was out mule deer hunting. I found a good uh, uh, mule deer deadhead, and you know some some nice whitetails too. It's like. Oh, I want to keep that. I want to bring it home, but I can't lift it. So it's just like, take a good picture. Remember it that way. But yeah, that's, it's kind of a bummer in those areas. So a majority of, of shed hunting is generally done walking, but, uh, do any of you guys use vehicles or ATVs to cover a decent amount of ground when you're out there? Not personally. I mean, it's pretty much all feet. Um, I think, when I was back in the Midwest in North Dakota, I think that's when I used my vehicle most. Not running into stuff per se, but just running the roads and running your run and then just glassing it. Um, but that was probably the most I've ever used a vehicle. Other than that, it's just a lot, a lot, a lot of walking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, not really for the like actual shed hunting part of it, but uh, I have used four wheelers just to kind of figure out, hone in on some areas where they are. They, where they did winter um so and that's all on private land it's just uh going through the trails and stuff that are already there and uh kind of finding some areas to hit on and then coming back and walking them because it's going to be pretty tough to find one riding on a four-wheeler or in a vehicle but i know you can do it it uh you're gonna miss some though yeah absolutely but I've, i mean i've seen quite a few people already posting pictures there a, a lot of them are just driving down the road seeing sheds it's like man I should, I should really keep my eyes peeled a little bit more when I'm driving down those roads because they're, you know, they're dropping now. It's it's a decent way to find them, for sure. So a couple of you guys touched on having dogs to help you with shed hunting. Can you go into how you, uh, how you trained them to to become shed hunting dogs and and how they assist you out there? Yeah, if you want to go, Kyle. Um, my dog's just in, in the puppy stage. So I'm still in the process of actually training her. I'm starting this year to be like her first big year. It was just more or less just hiking with her last year. Um, but I'm interested to hear what Kyle's got to say. Cause I'm, I'm in that process currently. So. Perfect. So my female lab is she's about a year and a half old. So she's by no, you know, by no means perfected at, at this point, but the biggest, the biggest thing with the training process with that is, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of tools out there. And I started with, you know, Jeremy Moore's, um, horn process. Uh, the biggest thing with her was even as a a puppy, it sounds almost cruel, but the only toy she was really presented were deer horns in general. So when that's the major toy they're playing with, that's, you know, they're going to fall in love, love with the horns. And then it just eventually, you know, we moved into like training in the backyard, looking for sheds, you know, in the backyard and then moving into a harder habitat, like the woods. And the biggest thing with that, I mean, the biggest learning curve I can tell people is the mistake I made from day one was, was uh, putting the sheds out in the yard without having like rubber gloves on. And the biggest thing with that is she was smelling me versus the shed. So I don't want to get too far on a tangent with that, but that is a really important thing because, you know, they need to be, smelling the actual pedicle of the horn versus hand scent. So when I started training with her, I was working with sheds in the backyard and in the woods and she'd find them like crazy. And I was like, man, this dog is going to be like a superstar. And then when it went to shed hunting the first year, I was like, man, I'm finding sheds and she's running, you know, you know, running by them. So then it was kind of like, you know, digging deep into what am I doing wrong with that? 
and that was kind of the biggest thing that arose was she was smelling me versus the actual horn. So when I started working more with rubber gloves and the horns and the scent from Jeremy Moore. I mean, that all kind of came full circle and helped a lot. Mm-hmm. So how did you get to that what? point where, uh, you know, where you're just out in the woods running around the dog thinks we're having a great time to, okay, I know I'm shed hunting right now. How do, how do you get there? For it, it's going to sound ridiculous, but just the word horn. I mean, she'll go ballistic when you just say the word horn because that's, you know, that was her biggest toy growing up. So you say horn, it's like, oh, it's time to, you know, get serious. And there are times where they'll, you know, they're dogs. So they like to, you know, they start meandering. It seems like they're running too fast for not paying attention, just using the word horn. I mean, that kind of hones them in. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're looking for, we're looking for horns. I know what that is, you know. But the biggest thing was just starting with just the only toy in the house, you know, really was a shed and then working with uh you know the shed equipment that we'll actually sell in in stores um and another thing is working with that was having the sheds presented from an early age was was huge but if they're actually playing with those sheds and they do you know hurt their mouth with the sharp horns that can be a turnoff too so when they're younger presenting them you know something that looks just like a horn with the scent on it but something soft was important too because I've heard stories of that too, where guys they'll give them real sheds and they're playing with that nonstop. And if they do, you know, poke their mouth or something, that can be a big turnoff for them with shed antlers, especially with how sharp some white tail horns can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes how, sense. How did you how did you get that kind of puppy playing instinct, like where the, the antler is a chew toy, to not turn into a chew toy later on when you're actually out there trying to find sheds? Well. <clears throat> easiest thing was as soon as i mean when you're when you're playing with it and and you give it to them as soon as it turns into a you know chewing on it it would just the horn would get taken out you know taken away right away you know at the beginning when the chewing she was young and i was trying to get like the love of it you know, for i would i would let her chew on it but when she you know got a little bit older closer to a year old you know when it was chew time it would get taken away right now and the whole fetch thing you know that all came from just training and she's a lab so you know, a chocolate lab. So from an early age, she's out of a, a kennel in Minnesota, which was a sport dog, you know, breed. So she she had the retrieving down from, from day one, but the whole taking away when she chews was, you know, that's important too, because otherwise they're just going to find them and go lay down somewhere and you're going to be like, you know, where is she? And she's just chewing on the horn you want. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so when your dog does find sheds, are you, are you giving her quite a bit of praise are you giving her treats every time it happens or what's going on there pocket pocket of treats is what i typically work with and no you know unless you can work with them and you know we all have full-time jobs and it's a busy schedule and work with, you know she's not perfect by any means but any bonus sheds i get out of her is is a huge bonus for me so uh, yeah it was always like a pocket of, a pocket of treats and when she finds one praise and treats and stuff and there's still instances where she'll pick one up and drop it halfway to you or something like that so they're never perfect but i like getting her out in the woods and taking her with me and if she finds a bonus shed that's a bonus for me and it's it's always a good time mm-hmm. very cool so casey do you have a uh you have an itinerary set up, how exactly you're going to work on training that new dog ears? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, we've been working the last couple of weeks, just that anticipation of getting out of ice season out here into shed hunting, you know, working in the backyard, working in some, some local parks and stuff like that. Just trying to get that introduction. She's a German short hair. So last year we, we worked mainly on birds and upland stuff. And then this year was my year to, to kind of focus on the sheds. So I'm actually going to be picking up that same thing. He's was talking about Kyle, um, getting, you know, the, the scents and the, the, I think it's like a plastic or a rubber horn, isn't it? Um, it's a it's a rubber horn, which uh, I think is just so important because, like, it, I mean, if they literally get poked, it can be the end of their obsession with horns because it's no longer a positive image yeah. with the horn. So. Yeah, and I, I think the scent for sure, you know, will help her kind of start to identify uh, the difference of my hand. Like, that's a good tip with the the rubber gloves something I haven't thought of uh, where she's starting to pick up a my scent might be the issue I have right now. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great information. All right. Well, I'd like to do a little bit of story time here. Um, I'm sure everyone's got some stories about shed hunting in the woods. I'd like to hear each of your favorite stories on shed hunting. So Ben, you want to kick it off? Yeah, sure. Uh, I probably have a favorite in back in North Dakota and a favorite out here. Um, but probably my favorite in North Dakota that I experienced was, uh, after kind of just the main buck is the biggest buck that I had on the property at the time. And, uh, is the first deer that I've ever actually got to come out aggressively to a grunt call. Um, so there's a lot of emotion behind getting this deer, and sadly, I just was never able to get the job done. But um, during the time of the year where I'm looking for sheds, I actually found his matching set antler side by side. Um, so that was pretty cool, pretty rare. Um, but I mean, they literally both fell, you know, six inches from each other. So it was pretty cool to get his set, um, which was just awesome to have. Even though I never got that deer, just to have his sheds was cool. Um, and then out here in Colorado is probably when I finally got my first one. I was actually out, uh, just being the camera guy in an archery hunt for a buddy that got a good tag. And, um, we actually got to kind of a burn line and just kind of looking through a whole lot of nothing. I mean, just a bunch of trees and everything's kind of burnt up. I finally saw my first elk shed. So it was pretty exciting being a North Dakota boy to finally get, your hands on an elk shed and that was pretty exhilarating to finally get the stars aligned on that one. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. So with that, with that buck that you were trying to target and, uh, and found his sheds, did you, did you get him on trail camera again the next year? Um, I, you know, what happened is I never saw the deer again. So yeah, it was pretty, pretty sad. Um, kind of was all excited to get after him the next year and um he just never showed up again so that's about all i had to remember him by oh man that's frustrating but you know it is really cool to develop histories with with animals like that you get them on camera you get their sheds get them on camera again hunt the next year i mean i've seen plenty of people that'll take like trophy shots and have two or three years worth of sheds from them it's like man that is that is pretty cool to have yeah, I would agree with that. So, Casey, how about you? Yeah, so mine's actually from uh, last year. Uh, 
going into the season, you know, we, we wanted to fart, like focus on elk sheds was our big thing. And in Nevada, the couple other spots that we've been hitting the last few years, it was mainly mule deer sheds. You'd find an occasional elk shed, but I wanted to find a spot that I could really get guys into, you know, a good help, uh, heaping amount of elk sheds. And so I started doing a bunch of research, finding where the good units were at and, you know, figuring, okay, well, this is the best unit. So probably guys are going to be going to this. So let's find a neighboring unit to it. And so I, I probably put man, 20 hours of research into Google earth and, you know, different odds and how many trophies come out of the unit and stuff like that. And never stepped foot on this, uh, this area in Nevada and a lot of guys went down there and just kind of a shot in the dark. And we ended up uh, coming out with, I believe it was 40 elk sheds um, between four of us. Uh, and it was just that, that, that pride, I guess, you know, of I could figure it out through my years of experience and all that stuff, finding, finding a spot like that was killer. And going into it, we were not expecting much, you know, we had a goal of, I think like three or four sheds each and to come out that heavy was, was a good time. And the, probably the craziest part of that was I kind of hit a new spot with my buddy, uh, in that area. It was the third day and drove down, started glassing this hillside picked up on one shed it was a big elk shed and i started walking a little bit closer got a different angle on it found his other side was just like 50 yards above it walked up picked him up sitting there you know kind of celebrating and stuff like that and ended up turning around and walking up the hill and <laughs> found another set of brown elk sheds so it was just kind of cool it was like that that and two brown sets within 100 yards of each other was was a lot of fun oh man it was <laughs> that's that's a heck of a day right there like 40 that whew. That is, yeah. that's pretty awesome, you know, and it, and it goes to show you that, you know, you can do a lot of research and improve your odds. You know, you just kind of never stop learning when it comes to, when it comes to shed hunting, you start figuring a few things out and then doing a little research to compound off of that. And it just, it just really increases your success. For sure. Mm-hmm. You get kind of like the thing that you know, we were in, we, you get used to hunting the same areas, you shed hunting the same spot. Oh, we're going to hit this spot over and over again. Uh, and just being able to branch out and find that, you know, branching out actually can provide success was, was a big deal for me. So. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So Kyle, Paul, Seth, how about you? Uh, mine's gotta be just my first like major shed that I remember finding. Um, it was up at my parents' property and I was out by myself in the backwoods, just, putting on some miles and stumbled upon a big five point side. And it, it was, it was a big one. And, uh, just that first time finding one and I was young, I mean, I was, was probably 11 or 12 and, uh, just bringing that back to the house to show my dad, my brothers and stuff. And, uh, that's one that sticks with me and that's kind of what sparked it all. So just keep grinding and try to find those big ones. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Do you have, uh, do you have any deer where you have multiple years of sheds with them? Uh, just two or three, maybe. Um, but nothing that's crazy where they're like big ones that you can really, really see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've, uh, I was fortunate enough to find a couple of those. Like I had, a, I had a really good transition area next to, uh, you know, a little ways away from a food source and they would always take this, this corridor It was in North Dakota. So it was a tree row. Surprise, surprise. But, um, I had a, I had a camera on this, like the plus sign of this, of this pinch point. And I saw, you know, pretty nice buck. It was a five by five and he, he come in like every three days and, and then one, and then I saw a picture where he had one off 
And I ended up, I ended up actually finding the other side that was still connected during the, the picture time, but it kind of told me like, okay, this is when I can go out and look. Cause the, you know, it, there wasn't a ton of snow and, and I knew the deer were bedding in a different area. So I, d- I knew I wasn't going to put pressure on them walking in this tree row. So, but it's super cool to be able to see like year after year sheds like this buck put on probably 15 inches. I think it was, I think I found him as a two and a half and then again as a three and a half. And then he just became a ghost for me. But uh, yeah. So uh, Kyle, you got a, got a good story for us? Yeah, I've got plenty of good stories, but uh, I would have to say, I mean, one of my favorite things about shed hunting is just the fact that you're going to see some deer that, if you got good food sources, you're going to see some deer that you just don't see throughout the year, even with the rot, when they're traveling through the rot. And last year we bought a new farm in Wisconsin, and I didn't really know any of the neighbors, and I had gotten a couple of calls from the one neighbor saying that he was seeing a just an absolute giant, typical buck out in her field. And, I was thinking to myself, well, I had cameras out all year. The biggest thing I had, I mean, I didn't have anything real big on camera. And it's kind of been, I mean, I think it's everybody's dream as a whitetail hunter. You know, it's different out west, but just to shoot a Boone and Crockett deer. So it's always kind of been a dream of mine to find a, a Boone and Crockett set of sheds. I mean, you never know what the spread is, but, I mean, you kind of get the point. But so he kept calling me, telling me that he was seeing this buck out there. And then I ran to him on the road one day and he was explaining it to me. And I'm like, well, that doesn't sound like anything I've got on camera. And I had already been through our property, but I was like, well, I'll gather up some of my buddies from Shields here and we'll go look again. And we had only looked for about five minutes and I found a five point side that was, I mean, it was just huge. And I'm just like looking at it and then, you know, everybody's like high-fiving and hollering and stuff. And I'm looking at it like, well, I've definitely never seen this dude before. And then earlier I was talking about looking for the other side of it when I was mentioning the cornfield and I basically highlighted the whole property. I put on like 16 miles on 120 acres trying to find the other side. And I was like, it's just not here. Then I got looking at the cornfield and I was like, well, I guess I can spend a whole nother day walking out there. So the next time, you know, we were off for four weeks because Shields was closed down. And so I had plenty of time to look and I spent another day there looking to highlight the whole field. and. I called my dad and I was like, it's just not here. I don't know if he traveled back to where he, you know, does his summer and and fall ranges. And I was actually on the phone with him walking out and there was a little part of like standing corn and like the leaves were all hung over and I was trying to just like bust my way through it. Let me punch my bottle here. But I'm maneuvering through it and it caught on my leg like the actual the deer had like an extra mean beam on the one side and it caught on on my pant leg and he's like i'm like i think it's i looked down I'm like i think i just fell on the other side and it's on my leg and he's like what are you talking about and i'm like it's on my leg right now like i just caught it on my leg so i picked it up and i don't think i'll ever forget that because it's just it's a goofy story and it's kind of hard but i just what are the chances i took that route out of the corn and i had looked the whole day and it, I mean, I probably looked from seven in the morning till like four o'clock in the afternoon in that cornfield because it was pretty good size, and to catch it on my leg was kind of a ridiculous <laughs> story, but something I'll never forget for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's just there's there's quite a bit of luck involved in shed hunting. I mean, you can Majorly. you can train your eyes and you can do research to find the right areas, but you know, a lot of it really just comes down to like 
looking in the right spot at the right time with the right sun angle. And, you know, you just can't really let yourself get discouraged because, you know, luck tends to turn around sooner or later. Yeah, I mean, you could probably rewalk the same spot five times and you might find one on the fifth. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I've had that happen more than once. You know, I shed hunt an aerial pretty thoroughly and then like, a month later I'm thinking about doing food plots and I walk through and then there's a shed right there. It's like, how did I, how did I not find that the first three times I went out there? <laughs> I had been through that area two times when that guy had told me he was seeing that deer and I, I don't know if he shed after that or I just had walked <laughs> past it, but just the thought of the fact that those horns could be rotting out there. If that guy didn't tell me that, that he had been seeing that deer, you know, I live two hours from where I, or hour half from where I hunt. So, I wasn't going to see that deer coming out in the field that time of year. So it was kind of a cool story. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, I, I don't know if any of you guys have long, like archery seasons, like we did back in North Dakota, but I've actually had a deer shed right before my eyes as I was drawn back on it with my bow in early January, like three days before the season was about to end. So <laughs> got to do a little catch and release action on a really nice five by five that I was more than happy to shoot and he just happened to look aggressively at me off. <laughs> wow did you do you end up shooting that deer then or no or let it pass I, I you know the the funny thing is is that threw me off so much that i almost like lost track of what i was doing and by the time that i got back on him uh he he, he jolted it, it just made me laugh i mean i got met up with my dad and brother later and i was like well i got a catch and release tonight but that was about it <laughs> that's wild <laughs> i mean you got the blood just fresh on the tip i mean you know probably one of my only sheds that's never been touched by a squirrel you know yeah. or a mouse or whatever just perfect condition so it's pretty cool yeah that is really cool all right well I, i've got a pretty crazy story about shed hunting that i'd like to share it's um it was out in North Dakota. I had I had access to this river bottom piece. It was like 120 acres of river bottom. And uh, there's a nice food plot on there. And then we'd also put like hay bales out on the side to really just get them to winter there because it's it's almost a perfect property. There was a there was a big ravine of of bedding that the neighbors had. And then on the other side, there was uh, there was a whole bunch of state land. So it's like we have the food in the middle and, uh, you know, bedding on each side. So and no one's going to really go in there and walk around. So I would, you know, I would wait till, uh, you know, till the snow would go down. There was plenty of time. But um, but this year I had this specific year I had a trail camera out. I was monitoring the bales and a couple of trails and uh, it got to like March. So I figured, OK, the. uh the animals have shed by now. So I just want to go out and I want to pull my camera. I am just dying to see what is on this camera. So, and it snowed like a lot, a lot that year. There was like two, three feet of snow back there. So I had, uh, I had put on my snowshoes and got across the river and was going and, and I was with a buddy too. And we were like two thirds of a mile back to get into where this food plot and these bales are at. And I get, uh, I get like two thirds of the way across the field and I'm about mm, maybe 75 yards away from these bales. 
And I'm just looking around, seeing if there's sheds anywhere. And then all of a sudden I see this animal get out of the, out of the bales and then start slinking away. And I'm like, oh, it must be a deer. And I look and it's like, oh, that's not a deer. What is that? And then it hit me that it was a mountain lion. So this, this mountain lion had made a den in these bales. It had dug itself uh, kind of a wow. makeshift den. And it was sitting there and it was just, it was waiting for these deer to come out, come to feed. You know, like there was, there was so much snow, there was so much pressure. These deer would just, you know, they'd come in and this, and this cat would, would pounce on them. And he had, he had actually stacked up deer like cordwood next to him on the, uh, on the side of the bales. There was like four different, four different deer. Like a couple of them weren't even really touched. He would like. I don't know if he was sport killing or stacking them up or whatever, but I, I got up there and, you know, cause when I saw that, when I saw the mountain lion run away, the wind was blowing at him. So like he knew I was there. I mean, I, I could have been one of them deer in that pile, but thankfully I had a buddy with me. So I think that I, I think he didn't want to mess with two people. So at that point I'm like, well, I'm two thirds of a mile from my truck. I am, I am screwed if, if this cat wants to come at me. All I have is like one deer horn and a knife in my pocket. Like I didn't bring a gun with or anything. So I go up there and I see like this big imprint area where you could see that the, that the mountain lion had pounced on one of the deer and literally drug it back to that pile. So wow. at, at this point, I'm like, I can't believe I'm even alive right now. Like if I would have been alone, if I'd have walked right up to that, to that pile of bales, like I don't even know what would have happened. So I just like grab my camera and start running, get the heck out of there. And, um, I get home and I check my camera and I have two pictures of this mountain lion, like three days away from when I, when I found him. So my camera was out there from December to March and it was still running and I got, I got pictures of this cat. So it was pretty wild, pretty wild, scary, but you know, like North Dakota, an hour away from Fargo, you just, you really don't see mountain lions. So you don't really think of anything like that, but it's a, uh, it's an experience that I'll never forget. That's for sure. That's nuts. Yeah, I mean, that going back to adding stuff to your pack, that is something I pack as a sidearm. I have ran across mountain lines a few times out here in the mountains and it's, yeah. <laughs> so, cause you're, I mean, they're, yeah. they're going through winter and they're hungry right now too. So it is something definitely a, a real threat out here is, is mountain lions. Can, you're in their winter grounds, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good idea to pack a sidearm out there. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. It's just not something you really think about when you're in the Midwest and flat ground and stuff yeah, like that. Bizarre. Making a den out of hay bells. That's, that's bizarre, man. I never heard that. Yeah. It's wild. It's the first yeah, time that crazy. I'd ever seen anything remotely like that, but it was just, you know, it was kind of the conditions. Like everything was, everything was so stressed. The winter was, was so long and, um, you know, it was just, it was an opportunity for, for that cat. So, you know, and like, I, w- I knew the, the winter was really harsh, so I wasn't going out there trudging around all over the place, but I'm like, I just want to get my camera, you know, a deer's not going to be out in that field in the, in the middle of the day. And if it does, it's going to, you know, see me and trot away a little bit. So I'm not going to put a ton of stress on them, but yeah, pretty crazy stuff. 
Mike, how many people do you tell that story to? And they're like, yeah, right. No way. <laughs> well, uh, they, they tend to believe me because, um, we actually got that cat a week later. Oh, really? So yeah, the, um, there's a friend I have out there that does predator control and, uh, and knows people that like knows a guide outfit that, that does it out in the badlands. So at this point, like I was, I was actually hunting guiding at the time too. So I'm like, I don't want to have any client have to worry about this. Like this cat needs to go. We need to get rid of it. So I called him up and and told him the story and he's like, okay, well we'll set up, um, you know, he's already got animals there. He's probably going to come back. He's made himself a den. So, so the guy ended up, uh, setting up on him once hitting it and, and running, you know, tracking it for a little ways. And then it got dark and it's like, well, I'm not going after a wounded cat. So they called the, called his guide service and then they got dogs and, uh, and they found it really fast actually. Like they found it within an hour and he's, you know, had him treat up there and he's taking these pictures. Like, you know, how you see the, how you see like the Eiffel tower and you put your fingers out. So it looks like you're holding it. He's like holding his, his index finger out and it looks like the cat's perched on there and ended up, ended up shooting it. And it was a, it was a pretty wild deal around here. So yeah, people believe that story cause I can oh, yeah. prove it. <laughs> he's got pictures to prove. Yeah. Oh, so, well, we've, we've covered a lot of great information, had some good stories. I've, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, do you, do any of you guys have any last tips or suggestions, anything we haven't covered in this, uh, in this shed episode that you'd like to share with the viewers? I think the only thing that I would add for new people is I hear a lot of people talking about, they have a good hunting spot and they never find sheds on it. And that's because they're just not wintering there. It can be a phenomenal hunting spot. It can be the best spot that you're seeing big bucks all the time. But if they're not wintering there and they're not spending their time there when they're shedding their antlers, you're just not going to find them. So don't focus on good hunting spots. Focus on those good spots that they are when it's the correct time of the year. Yeah, that's some excellent advice there. I mean, my, my advice is just persistence. I mean, I would just, not give up i mean when i came out here i didn't know where to go where people go um you know what are heavily traveled areas i mean you have so many recreational people that are constantly out here and enjoying all the public land that's out here it's hard to really know i guess how many people are out here looking for sheds or how many people are just walking around um but i would just say just you know just go for the mile and just cover as much ground as you can and just have fun doing it. I mean, whether you find one or not, I mean, I would just keep doing it. I mean, if anything, you're always getting something out of it. You're learning new lands. Um, you're learning more about your upcoming seasons. Um, and then you're just having a good time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you getting yourself in shape too. Just a lot of, a lot of great preparation comes along with shed hunting. Yeah, it's not, Shed hunting certainly isn't a, a lazy man sport by any means. I mean, you're going to put on a lot of a lot of miles, and you're certainly, I don't care how good of an area, and you're not going to find sheds every single day. You're going to have good days, and you're going to have bad days. But like Ben said, if you can just find some positive out of it, find a new bedding area or find a new promising spot for next fall. You know, you may not have found a shed, but it might lead to shooting the deer that you're looking for as sheds the next fall. So look for look for the positives in a day, even if you don't find a shed, cause there's going to be a day where you're going to find 10, 15 of them. So it's, 
just have fun. <laughs> yeah, There's plenty of, plenty of fun to be had. Yeah, I was going to say, just, you know, keep after it, like Ben was saying. Um, you can get discouraged, you know, real quick and want to give up for the season. But, man, just keep grinding. Get out of your comfort zone is the big thing. And something that we live by out here is nothing's too steep. You know, you look at a hillside, <laughs> you're looking up at it. That's ways up there. But I, I can tell tell you right now, if you go up and nothing's too steep, once you get to the top and you actually find something that's it's very well worth it, uh, get out of your comfort zone, I guess, is my big tip. Okay, great to hear. And uh, I mean, my tip would be, if you have kids or if you have youth, get them out there, introduce them to shed hunting, you know, do it in the end part of your season when the weather's warmer, it's nicer, they can enjoy it. And bring yourself one that, you know, that you found already, because the the kid's not going to know that, (laughs) that it the shed is new, you know, but like to see the look in their eyes and the excitement when, you know, especially like my five-year-old daughter, I'll bring her out and, and I'll just toss a shed to the side and I'll be like, Mia, I think there's something around here. What's, uh, what's over there. And it's like when she finds that first shed, just watching her eyes light up, it just makes it so fun. And it gets, it gets the kids excited about getting out to the outdoors, experience new things. So that would be my, my number one tip for sure is introduce the youth to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's going to be after you in five years when she watches this podcast. And she's like, <laughs> you play Dad, you there? actually put you that shed it. there? Oh, man. But no, she actually, she found her very first shed uh, when she was three. And she found a spike. It was like four inches tall. And she goes and she picks it up off the ground. She's like, Daddy, look at this. And I'm like, that is a real shed. That is a, that is a four-inch <laughs> spike. There is no way I ever would have seen that. But, but my three-year-old daughter is now teaching me tricks on how to shed hunt. <laughs> so maybe the new trick is uh, closer to the ground is better. Yeah. yeah Andrew, well. Walk around just in <laughs> crouch position. Yeah, I'll I'll maybe save that for you guys. Why don't you let me know how that works out for you? <laughs> oh, cool. Well, that's a, you know a ton of great information, guys. I'm excited to uh, to get out into the woods, do some shed hunting, and hopefully find some of them deer that uh, that we'd pass on this year. Find some new ones to to target for the upcoming season. Um, Thank you for your time. Best of luck. Uh, best of luck out there. Shed season. If you if you guys find something, you better be tagging Shields outdoors so we can see how it, see what you get. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. Perfect. All right. Well, have a good one, guys. Yeah. You too. Good luck, guys. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. You just heard our session with Shields experts Ben Morgan, Casey Davies, Kyle Halseth and Kyle Clifforth on shed hunting tips and tricks from various areas of the country. Hopefully this segment inspired you to get out and try some shed hunting this spring. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out on either the comments of this podcast or through social media at Shields Outdoors, Facebook, or Instagram. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please give us a follow on the listening platform you chose today. And with that, I want to thank you all for listening and see you next time.
Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.